you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? <laughs> hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? Hey, just got off the line with our guy Brett Sianka. Pick six preview, some really outstanding stuff. And man, this is going to be a great episode. I'm pretty fired up. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> a little sad, Mike, you know, because as listeners know, Shane's entitled to one interview a year. And this was it. <laughs> of course, you know me, fashionably late, get caught up in work and miss the one interview. So uh, I guess I'll have to do the pick six next year. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a fantastic. I got to listen to it prior to. Uh, I, I've I've had the book here now for a few days. Uh, you know, Mike, I, I'm due for one book a year. You know, and this is the only one I read. So uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, these guys are going to love the content because you guys go into every single SEC team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we try to do, and that's why I really appreciate everything Brett does at uh, Pick Six Previews. Gives attention to all the squads like they deserve. You know, there's, I just think there's too many people that focus on the main teams. And I guess, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong. There's nothing wrong with those teams, but I just hate it when you see a lot of these national podcasts and they just roll, they run down, the, <laughs> you know, the yeah. contenders and they act like the rest don't even exist. Exactly. And I think this year, God, I, I just, I, I think that this year the teams are going to be so close. Hey, but before we get to our interview, got to, Include this clip from this old dumbass Boomer Esiason. I don't. If anybody missed his comments here, we're going to cut to it. This is, uh, you know, obviously former NFL quarterback. I know he used to work for CBS, the pregame. I don't know if he still does. I haven't watched that show in a while. But uh, let's kick it over to Boomer Esiason, who he's got himself a wild Corona theory. Here's one other thing, and I don't. I, I got to be really careful uh, careful here because I, I don't want to say that this is an accusation. I don't want to. I, I just w- was thinking the other day about what what is going on <clears throat> with the SEC teams down south and, and, and Clemson included, who's obviously an ACC team. A lot of their players are coming down with COVID-19, oddly enough. 
So are they well, trying to herd immunity, their teams, so these guys can get sick now as opposed to getting sick during the college football season if, in fact, there is one? And I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't put it past any of those guys down there. Sure. I mean, that's one of the first things I said about Belichick. I said, I watched Belichick get his whole team sick, so when the season rolls around, everybody's been through it already. Like, he would be the guy that would do that. So, And I was was saying that facetiously, but, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I I think it's going on. I I honestly – the numbers coming out of, like, you know, Alabama, LSU, and Clemson, all these teams – yeah, it, it is, it's too much of a coincidence. All right, Shane, so after I heard this one, I'm starting to question the commitment to winning in Tennessee because old Jeremy Pruitt and Philip Romer, <laughs> there's no COVID positive tests over there. What the hell? Are they Are they not trying to win on Rocky Top? Oh, man, you think I'm drinking and podding it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the comments. It's every one of them has been, okay, boomer, you know? <laughs> But just take a second and think about what you're saying, okay? You're infecting kids with with a, a deadly disease where some people have said it has it has messed with their lungs for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You, I know college football is important, but do you think for one moment that these that these coaches are intentionally giving these kids the the COVID nineteen? I mean, just hear what you're saying. Yeah, just a really stupid comment here. And you know what I think this is? I think Boomer went to a Big Ten school. And I think when the SEC kicks the Big Ten's ass once again in the college football season, I think this is going to be his lame-ass excuse for why it happened. (laughs) You know, they did the Big Ten didn't properly prepare while the SEC Mm -hmm. did. But, man, I just thought it was – what a joke this guy is. You know what? Absolutely. And the Bengals suck. (laughs) We love Joe Burrow, but yeah, Bengals yeah, do so. I've never, I've never liked Boomer, and uh, you know, one another thing. I want, I do want to talk briefly about this because are you a little nervous, Mike? Are you? I mean, because today I got some troubling news. the The Tennessee high school football teams have pushed back the season. Um, they they haven't canceled it, mm-hmm. but they they are they are not going to start in August. So. Um, are, are you getting, are you hearing anything college football wise? Well, the one update we do have, uh, this was first reported by John Talty of AL.com. He is reporting that the SEC media days is being delayed. That was set yeah. to be in mid July. And that is significant to me. Potentially, you know, I'm not doom and gloom. I'm not saying this is completely bad news, but I have heard Greg Sankey say on a number of occasions, and I've said it on this podcast, I believe, where they want to have the SEC media days right before the season kicks off. They do not want to have that event and then have to wait a month or two extra Mm -hmm. for the college football season. So that's not to say that the college football season is going to be delayed, the SEC season potentially delayed, but that is a troubling sign. But I've also heard that uh, they may move that event to where it's prime time, nationally televised, and if you're moving that thing and it's virtual, maybe you can make that a you know a lot easier to do now because we are getting into the time where SEC football teams are going to start camp during that time. Yeah, so that potentially that could be the reason. You know, they Alabama, you know Auburn, go down the list. LSU, 
I don't know that they have their practice schedules set. So this could just be, you know, all the teams relaying to the SEC conference. Hey, let us set our practice schedules and then line up these interviews to make sure that they don't correspond with our practice schedule because the last <laughs> Nick Saban ain't showing up to no zoom call if he's got <laughs> practice you know what I mean at three o'clock so maybe he's telling them let us get the schedule and then you know it's very easy for us within a, a matter of a day or two we can get in front of a computer at the time you want us to but you know yeah. why set that months out in advance when we don't have our practice schedule so that is something to consider I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic but that is that's a some, somewhat troubling sign so, so nobody's really came out and made a statement from the SEC saying, this is why we're doing it. You haven't seen any of that? No, but apparently they have taken off the SEC media days from their television lineup. But again, okay. it wasn't going to be in Atlanta anyway. So right. that, that probably has more to do with it than anything because, you know, Feinbaum goes down there and mm -hmm. so everybody in the media basically goes down there and, and we all know the players and coaches go down there so it does turn into a big event and i don't know how you broadcast that if it's just zoom <laughs> questions you know what i mean absolutely well you you know me mike i'm just worried that i'm just waiting for something to happen you know what it just feels like something bad's about to happen and we're not going to have college football and and i know everybody on this podcast wants to wants i mean it's july 1st and you're listening to sec podcast we want college football so i i'm just i man i i, I cross my fingers every single day that we don't get any bad news and i just didn't like i didn't like the vibe today you know but that's okay. I did like the interview, Mike, and that was all. That's what it's all about. Well, we're about to jump to that, but before we do, it sounds like you need to be uplifted. Maybe some of our listeners do too. Let's do you kick have it over. Anything? Yeah, let's kick it over to Sam Pittman. I love this answer when he was kind of faced, asked the same questions you're asking me now, and the the Pittman. He's he's ready to go. Uh, Sam, just with the, the the Corona, kind of the not knowing the, the yet whether the season will start or not. How hard is that to? Come kind of keep the players motivated that that you know, the season will be on schedule? Well, I think the media thinks we're not going to have a season more than we do, you know. And so um, there had been one ounce of conversation between myself and our team about not having a season. So it's not hard to motivate them about not having a season because we all believe we're going to. If it changes, we'll adjust. But – um, we're, we're preparing for September 5, and that's what we believe is going to happen. If it doesn't, we'll just have to figure out what our next step is. But, but it hadn't been hard because we, we don't talk about it. Coach, you, you mentioned uh, some of the media don't think there's going to be one. There's a lot of fans out there that are saying this, and I'm wondering how you guys deal with it. I mean – it's all over message boards, uh, all this typical social media. Ah, there's not going to be a season. There's no way they can play. Fans who love college football just seem to somehow, some of these people have given up. And in the absence of real knowledge, there's a lot of crazy talk out there. I mean, we were dealing with a situation yesterday where a good source was telling us, you guys were sending everybody home today. And obviously that's nonsense. But how, how do you – kind of deal with this whole backdrop with all that going on? Well, um, you know, I learned a long time ago, um, media is very important, but it's also, it can, it can make your team and it can break your team if you pay a lot of attention to it. And um, 
so we're going off of facts of what we know. I'm in a head coach's meeting every Thursday morning at 7.30, and I'm going off of facts from the SEC commissioner. And so all speculation, I mean, we could speculate for the whole – for a month, and some of us be right, a lot of us be wrong. Uh, I'm just going off the facts of what the SEC commissioner is telling us, and we're going as planned to have a season September 5th. And I don't know – honestly, I don't know how you can possibly prepare a team if you look at it any other way than that. All right. If, uh, you know, Sam Pittman could not have aced the offseason any more than he already has, he did it with that answer right there. And, you know, that's – the teams are preparing to play. They're getting ready for it. And Sam Pittman's not heard anything different. And that's kind of all I care about right now. Mike? That made me feel better. <laughs> I mean, it's easy. You get sucked into media sometimes, and you do want to think that the the world's caving in, you know, and college football is not going to happen. So uh, if, if the head ball coach up there in Arkansas is saying that, hey, everything I'm hearing is a go, then I think it's a go, Mike. I feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of getting better, let's kick it over to Brett Sianka, pick six previews. This is a really good stuff. He really, you know, took a tremendous amount of time. I really appreciate him doing this. Let's kick it over to our interview, the Pick Six Previews. We're pleased now to be joined by Brett Sianka, better known as Pick Six Previews. Of course, you gotta give this guy a follow. He's a must-follow at Pick Six Previews. He's a Heisman Trophy voter. He's got the best preseason college football magazine out there and he does it all by himself i mean this is some really outstanding stuff we've had him on the show before he's a must get to return brett thanks so much for joining us and uh, breaking down your pick six previews book yeah thanks for that praise mike and 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 shane for having me on having me back on uh you know you guys are one of my favorite go-to uh podcast you know in my preseason prep, I'm, I'm trying to check into all the local radio, local podcasts across the country. But this one, the way that you guys are able to make it fresh, interesting, and, uh, you know, detail-packed every day, I mean, that's unheard of. So keep up the good work on your end, too, and uh, excited to break down the SEC. Now, Brett's been kind enough to uh, get the listeners a discount code for his annual preseason magazine, and that uh, code will be SEC. It's not going to get any simpler than that for listeners of this show but can you tell the listeners before we get rolling here where's the best place to find the pick six previews preseason magazine yeah so it's pick six previews on twitter um and pick six previews.com that's all spelled out and, and uh on there you'll see a couple sample pages because i know it's a newer product but we have a couple sample pages up there you can see the, the the set of graphics i have for every team the stats the level of detail on every team also some testimonials over there too so uh, pick six previews.com and then the quick background on this is um, I launched Pick 6 Previews in 2012. Over those first seven seasons, it was graded the most accurate BCS and Power 5 predictions in the country. That's beating all the ones you see on magazines and online. Starting last year, 2019, I put, put together my first comprehensive book where it was all 65 Power 5 teams previewed, you know, 1,500 words per team, uh, you know, film study, X's and O's, um, per player personnel. The whole bit. And uh, after last year's book, I was invited to become a Heisman voter. So just the ultimate credential there. Excited to be back here a second year. We just launched 2020. And uh, and yeah, making the radio tour now. I'm excited to get going. Yeah, and one thing I really like about your preview magazine, it's kind of like this show. You know, there's there's plenty of 
outlets out there that only want to talk Alabama or Georgia or whatever or whoever's on top, but uh, we like to spend as much time as possible on all the teams, and your magazine does that. I mean, it's not like you cover Vanderbilt in this magazine as much as you do Alabama, and that's not to say you're lacking knowledge on either of them. It's just that you spend a lot of time and attention on each team like uh, all these fan bases deserve. So i got to give you credit for that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly the whole purpose of my book, really. And I, I love hearing that because, you know, I, I used to see some of these national guys, and they do they do great work on their own. But I got tired of hearing about the same handful of teams. And I really wanted to do a deep dive into all these programs, just like you guys do on the show. Um, but, hey, I, yeah, I just got off the podcast. I just talked 40 minutes about Kansas's offense, the Jayhawks, <laughs> uh, and loved every second of it. So, I mean, I think that pops off the page, too, when you get reading. You, you see how much I love all these 66 programs because – Really, when you think about it, the NFL, there's 32, 32 organizations. They're all pretty much the same, except for that logo on the helmet. But in college football, there's a million different ways to get to the end result of winning football. I mean, talking about offensive schemes, defensive schemes, you got recruiting strategy, branding. It's just a whole, whole different beast, and it's 66 unique programs. So, uh, yeah, that, that's awesome to see that uh, come through. Now, a couple things that are unique to your magazine – was going to ask you to explain this for any listeners that, uh, you know, maybe they've just picked up the magazine or something we've referenced here during the interview. I just want to make sure they fully understand what these metrics are, starting with your player development ranking. Can you explain that one? Yeah. So kind of a theme in the book. Um, I know that recruiting is very important. We talk about it all year, um, but that's really just the starting point. You got to, you know, you got to recruit well, but you got to develop it when it gets on the campus. You got to develop your talent. You got to have it fit your scheme. You got to, you know, um, have, have a good scheme itself. Right. And um, so you hear these buzzwords thrown around like player development and win conversion, but really what that is to me is I compare the raw recruiting rankings, you know, the signing day classes, and then compare that to what they're outputting into the NFL in draft picks. So, because something's got to happen this four years on campus. So when you look at programs and, and, you, and in your head, you kind of intuitively think of them, uh, maybe some programs that have recruited really well, but not been able to convert onto the field. A team like Tennessee comes to mind. And part of that is just through a lot of coaching changes. It's not entirely, you know, that's not a knock on Pruitt, uh, maybe his predecessors, but, you know, programs that have a lot of coaching turnover, they start to lose transfers and start to lose guys. So um, I'm rambling, but no, player development is just uh, the, the recruiting rankings compared to NFL draft output. And then the other one's win conversion, which is very similar. It's, again, your recruiting rankings, that raw talent on paper, to what you're actually converting onto, onto wins and, and blowout wins and that kind of thing. So really a way to put a number on a lot of buzzwords you hear and, uh, and start to look at this a little bit numerically. Now, do you think these type of metrics are even more important moving forward, given that we're in an age of so many players transferring in and out of schools? I mean... It's, it's fantastic if you recruit at a top 10 level, but what's the point if, you know, you're losing five to 10 guys a year from those classes? So uh, how important are these development and, and win conversions to just being a consistent college football winning program? Yeah, I think it's big time. It's, it's very important. Um, these metrics are really, really valuable at the outliers at the end, you know, the top 10 and the bottom 10 in each category, um, because you can start to rely on them a bit more. So in the top 10 of player development, it's, it's programs like Wisconsin, Iowa, Utah. I mean, these are programs that, yeah, they might not sign the five-star blue chippers, but they have such a proven identity and culture uh, and style of play. They know exactly the kind of kid they want. It might be a two-star or a three-star. They know who they want. They bring it in. They, they, you know, they bring them in. 
they uh, get the strength and conditioning programs going and they grind out wins. So as a preseason prognosticator like me, I'm, I'm trying to evaluate 66 programs. I kind of rely heavily on, you know, the past history like that on, okay, I know Iowa's going to grind out a solid offensive line. They've been, they've been number two in my player development compared to when I see a program like Texas, again, sign another top five class. And you look, they're dead last in my player development. Uh, something's happening there. They're, they're not, they're not executing their, their full potential. So um, it's definitely a tool I use. It's part of the process. It's not the be all end all, but it's a little bit of a different, um, you know, approach than just going flat with the recruiting rankings because there's a lot, a lot more that goes into it than just the signing day. Now, another unique addition to your magazine, the game grader. Can you explain that? This is um, every page, every team's got outstanding game grades of the last, I think it's five years and the worst of the last five. Can you explain to the listeners what the game grader is? Yeah, sure. So with Game Grader, um, you know, my take is not all seven win seasons are the same. I mean, going seven and five in the SEC West compared to going seven and five in, say, the ACC Coastal, for example, um, you don't know if those five losses were blowouts, if they were by one point and fluky losses. um, And you don't know if they were scheduling FCS opponents or, you know, the big dogs. So I needed a way to dig deeper than just a win loss record because that doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, convert, uh, in the same sense, uh, just the final score you see on the ticker on Saturdays doesn't really paint the whole picture. Uh, you know, it might say it was a seven point win for one team, but what if the other team actually outgained them by 300 yards and had an off day and, and fumbled five times, right? So long story short, I needed to, I needed a way to kind of numerically look at this. So it, it factors in scoring differential, yardage differential, uh, a lot of per play metrics, um, explosive plays, you know, other efficiencies, that kind of stuff. And then the last bit is it scales it for opponent strength uh, because beating, you know, Vandy 50 nothing is different than beating Georgia 50 to nothing. So all that said, I know that sounds like a, wor- a word salad right there. And, <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of numbers for the, for the non-number folk. But my, my, one of the key points of the magazine is I have the analytics there on the left, but, you know, the text, I really explain it all and, and make it very readable and uh, readable for any football guy that'd like to dig into it. So um, because no one wants to read about how, you know, Tennessee's, 0.12x and x category i mean what does it mean what does it really tell us so i try and uh, explain that throughout the book and, and try and paint a, a you know a whole program picture now i believe new to the magazine this year game grader coach carousel can you explain that and uh I, we're seeing a a name at the very top of the list that uh, a lot of sec fans obviously well outside of athens think that this guy's doing a hell of a job yeah I think you're talking about Dan Mullen, if I had a guess. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so what we have here, um, every coaching carousel, you know, the December-January time frame, you see all the, all the Twitter handles, the national pundits rush to Twitter, they crack their jokes about each hire. We don't know anything about these hires right when they happen. Uh, you got to look to the coordinator hires, and you also got to wait two or three years to really see their program take shape. Uh, I remember Herm Edwards was laughed at on Twitter for months. Uh, and at the same time, everyone said how UCLA won the carousel by signing Chip Kelly. You got to let these things play out. So that's what I try and do here is using that game grader formula we just talked about. I look at the programs four years before the new coach arrived for kind of a context of how the program was doing. So the four years prior compared to their two or three or four year average based on how long they've been there and uh, to really see the impact that they've individually had. Uh, in that example you used, Dan Mullen is the top rated from that 2018 cycle, where in the four years prior, they were about average middle of the pack program. And the numbers are in there, but, you know, middle of the pack program, now a top 10 program. 
you see that that boost there. That's the, the biggest um, you know coach impact over those uh, over that cycle. Uh, right up there with him, Jimbo Fisher. He's done an excellent job. Um, I think it's important though to put in the program context because uh, what what Jeff Brom, for example, a guy at Purdue, uh, you know, he's winning seven eight games. That's a major major deal at Purdue. Um, seven or eight wins would be bad at Texas, but it's huge at Purdue. So that's why I have that prior year context there along with their average. So it kind of, that's my way of trying to put a number on these hires rather than just, you know, cracking some jokes on, on December 15th, right when they signed the guy. So that's my take on that. Now, what I wanted to ask you on though, Jeremy Pruitt, has got a minus grade in your, according to your metrics, do you think, um, you know, that's kind of eye raising to a degree, but maybe not if you look at some of these losses he's piled up at Tennessee. So what's your thoughts on the job Jeremy Pruitt's done taking into consideration that currently, and this could have, this certainly could improve this coming year, but currently he's got a minus rating according to your game grader coach care. So, yeah. So I think part of that is um, when I factor in the prior years before Pruitt, you remember those were some decent Tennessee teams, actually some, some top 15 caliber teams there uh, in 2015 they were, they were close in 16 on some of those games. So he inherited what was a pretty good team recently. It was a tough roster draw. Yeah, so there are some, uh, you know, some outliers. The key with Tennessee is I want to look back at this a year from now because, uh, I don't know, I don't want to spoil later in the show, but I probably am the highest on Tennessee uh, of all the magazines. I have them 15th in the country for 2020. Um, and the key being I saw a major shift midseason last year. Uh, so we can look at Pruitt's first two and a half years. Man, maybe there were some struggles. Uh, maybe it took longer than we thought to, you know, to flip the roster, that kind of thing, and get his culture installed. But what we saw the second half of last year makes me very optimistic going forward, and we'll touch more on that when we get there. So let's cycle back a year from now and, and see how Pruitt uh, rates in that category. I think it'd be higher. Well, one guy that uh, won't have that uh, option, Chad Morris, lowest coached grade on here. <laughs> yeah, that's uh... – that was, that was a tough one there. Um, you know what? This is an example of a guy that's probably a, a much better coordinator than he is a head coach. And, and that happens. You see that everywhere. Um, you know, we just saw it also at Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead, where you look at him at, at Fordham, at Penn State. I mean, he, he built some incredible offenses as a coordinator. Takes over the head role. Maybe it was a, you know, it didn't really fit down there. Whatever you want to say, I think he's an excellent coordinator, not a head coach. So, probably the same with Morris. I mean, I remember on your show, you guys used to talk about how much you loved recruiting and would be hyping that up, but then you get to Saturday and it just it didn't work. Um, you know, I, I also, uh, not to go off tangent here, but I made my first trip down to Fayetteville this fall. And I, I think I picked the worst weekend possible. I mean, bad year of Arkansas football and, you know, they were on I think fall you picked break. the worst year. <laughs> so, yeah. Worst year and worst week. It was fall break. It was empty. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I want to come back and see them at their best because, that fan base deserves better. They're, they're a passionate bunch, and uh, I think in a few years' time they'll be, you know, fielding a strong offensive line again and and uh, be competitive again. Well, let's just stay right there in Fayetteville then, because uh, this is what I want to do next: just break down Brett's official pick six previews, SEC West. We're going to talk about those teams, then we're going to jump over to the East. But I like to start. Uh, let's just go to the bottom here. That way we can work our way up for some some suspense for all these teams at the top of the list here, but you got Arkansas number seven. That's not a total surprise by any means, given what we've seen in recent years here, but really wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, I've been huge on these coordinator hires. I've been pumping them up for all off season. Now I got the official Razorback account 
tweeting out my comments here on this on this show. Huh. So they're listening. What do you say about uh, the job Sam Pittman has done bringing in Barry Odom and Kendall Browse this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I agree right with you. Those are excellent hires. I mean, the guy with Kendall Bryles, he's had success everywhere, all the way back to when he was um, installing that offense with Baylor with his dad. Um, what that is, it's they want to stretch you sideline to sideline and vertically. Um, but really, you know, you might think of that offense, think of Baylor and the Pac-12 and the passing. Really, the goal is to stretch you so they can punish you in the middle with a downhill run game. Um, you know, so, so I think that that's going to play to Pittman's strength as an offensive line coach. It might take a few recruiting cycles to get that, you know, that strength back up front, but that's the end goal. He already pulled it off here uh, back 2013 and 2015. They were, you know, top 10 in sacks every year, you know, the least amount of sacks. Um, so he's had success here, Pittman. Bryles, great hire. And then uh, talking about Barry Odom, just talked about coordinators that might be better as coordinators compared to head coaches. He might be another example right there. He was very strong on the Gary Pinkle staffs at Missouri. Took over the program, some ups and downs, but I think he's a strong defensive mind. I mean, that's a that's a SEC head coach you have as a coordinator. That's that's, that's huge. So uh, it's built the right way. Got some transfers coming in, but I think that yeah, it's still in last place. And you know, I like the hire going forward, but it'll be tough this year. And you mentioned uh, Kendall Bryles' offense and how they like to really run the ball. How well does that fit Raheem Boyd? Who, you know, I think he might be one of the most underrated players in the SEC. I know he's. He's been banged up some, so you know, you got to be a little bit concerned if he can make it through the whole season. But if he does, and if that offensive line gets just marginally better, how big of a year could uh, Rakeem Boyd have in this offense? Yeah, I mean, he really could have a nice year. Uh, he's definitely one of the best returning backs. and He's only one of three returning 1,000-yard backs in the SEC. Um, and another thing is that, given the scheme, they want to try and stretch you sideline to sideline, like I said. They have some weapons there, wide receiver, albeit young. Um, you know, Traylon Burks, Trey Knox, but also they have four four-star receivers in total from that uh, 2019 class. The number, the number one tight end of the nation as well. So uh, there's some blue chippers. It's young, but I think that the skill positions are fine. Plus, you bring in Felipe Franks, a somewhat proven. I mean, you know what you have with the guy. It's a somewhat proven SEC starting quarterback. Um, so yeah, I think there's potential here. Um, but yeah, we got to see that offensive line improve, and and wow, this defense got got to make some steps forward. So and and some roster turnover there too. So yeah, until I see it, I have to keep Arkansas down in seventh. But um, in terms of out of the 66 Power Five programs, I do have them moving up to 56 uh, from what they were. Uh, they were 63rd last year, almost dead last. So some improvement, and won't show in a, in a tough division. But uh, the, you know, I, I like the higher going forward. All right, your number six team in the SEC, West Mississippi State. We're all fascinated to see what Mike Leach does in his return to the SEC. And I really love your opening here for your Mississippi State preview. What did you say? I don't know if this is an official prediction, but Dak Prescott, what record do you think is going to fall of his there at Mississippi State with Mike Leach running the show? Yeah, so the stat I researched, uh, you know, who's got the record for 300-yard passing games? Dak Prescott did it nine times, and my quote there was that that record will be snapped in week 10 this fall. <laughs> I mean, that's just the sheer numbers play here because uh, if you've watched any Pac-12 recently uh, or back in the day at Texas Tech, Mike Leach, and they're throwing the ball 60 times a game. I mean, it's just a, a high-paced machine. Uh, it's plug-and-play. It doesn't really matter even the kind of recruiting class that he signs. He knows how to plug these guys in. Um, now, it, it helps having you know top 25 classes to play with now, so – the, the talent profile he's inheriting at Mississippi State is light years ahead of what he uh, coached up at Washington State or, 
you know, some of those Texas Tech teams. You bring in also a proven starting uh, Power 5 quarterback, K.J. Costello. And that's not just an average kid. I mean, he was a, a two-year captain out there, which is rare. Um, you know, 49 touchdowns, just 18 picks over two and a half years at Stanford. He's, I mean, he's a proven playmaker quarterback. So you have big arm. You got Kylan Hill coming back. I thought he was gone. Um, yeah, so I actually am optimistic about the, the scheme change. Even without the spring, I think they'll, they'll scrape something together here. My question with Mississippi State really is defensively, um, because it's not just an outlier offense with that air raid. It's an, out, it's, uh, it's an outlier defense. Um, going with a 3-3-5 scheme, not many programs run this nationally. So you're going from a, a normal 3-4 to a, a 3-3-5. Might take some adjusting. Um, and plus, they lose some star power. It's really just Earl Thomas coming back, or Thompson. Um, but, yeah, so I think the defense might take a step back. And, uh, yeah, who knows? But, hey, I always wanted to see Mike Leach in, in the SEC because, I mean, how would these defenses face him? Um, you don't really see this kind of offense down here. And plus, just to see it. Dude, that, that, uh, that SEC West press conference every week is going to be must-listen radio. I mean, oh, my gosh, all these personalities <laughs> in one division. I know. I mean, we're we're trying we're working overtime just to get him on the line here. I mean, we just Shane Shane will go nuts if we can get him on the show. Huh, yeah. Now, one thing I did want to ask you real quick about Zach Arnett though is uh, the new defensive coordinator there because, you know, obviously you're you're doing Power Five here, so I don't know how much San Diego State defense you watch, but I've I've kind of gone back and watched a little bit, and I I just don't know much about that program and how much of it is Rocky Long, but. I do know that Syracuse tried to hire Arnett, so that gives me some confidence that he maybe fits what Mississippi State is obviously going to do on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, how the, the coordinators match, I think, is important. And you've referenced that 3-3-5. I've even I've watched, like, coaching tutorials on how that thing's run. I don't know how that they're going to stop the run in the SEC, but I imagine they're going to have enough speed to where, you know, they're going to be able to – keep up with teams that throw it all over the football field, which it seems like that's where the SEC is going. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. First with the San Diego state pipeline, I don't cover the mountain West, but I see these coaches that are pumped out by that program. It's all these Rocky long disciples. The, the latest one was uh, Danny Gonzalez. He took over to Arizona state with Herm Edwards and, and turned around a pretty poor defense and uh, you know, a, a pretty stout unit. So uh, I just, I've, I've trusted his disciples. He's three, three, five guys. Uh, yeah, so I don't know how that's gonna how it's gonna fare in a, a smash mouth SEC, um, but you do bring up a good point. It is going more past heavy. You look at teams like Alabama and LSU. Five years ago, you, you'd have laughed at me if I called them past heavy. But I mean, mm -hmm. look what we saw last year. Uh, we'll get to it later in the show. But Georgia also looking to make that move. So yeah, who knows? Maybe that is the the next trend. Um, it's probably going to be a unit that likes to gamble and try and get turnovers for uh, just to get the ball back in Leach's offense's hands. So maybe that they might force some turnovers. They might be exposed to some long plays more often. That's the, kind of the risk reward. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, an intriguing hire, and I'm going to be have my eye on that uh, that program and that whole state uh, to be transitioned to to Ole Miss next. Yeah, so Ole Miss, you got them number five in the West. Now I want you to really tell the listeners what you've got written down here in your preview magazine about John Rice Plumley and his impact on the offense because. My God, this guy is, he's just sensational. From the moment he hit the field, I'm surprised there's not more people shouting it from the mountaintops. I mean, hell, there's some Ole Miss fans are convinced this guy's going to be a receiver next year. And I don't think Lane Kiffin's that stupid. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying John Rice Plumley is 
is guaranteed going to be the starting quarterback, but it's not often you put a player on the field and he's just completely changes the way your offense is played. Yeah, for real. Um, that's a great point. Um, so along with the analytics, I, I try and watch a ton of film too, like I said, and I mean, it's just night and day, the, the game breaking ability he brings uh, with him on the field, a quarterback, he just, he just felt like he could score at any moment. And that's something rare in this conference. I don't want to make crazy comparisons, but one of the last quarterbacks he thought that about was, uh, was Johnny Manziel. Just the idea that on any given snap, he could scramble around, go 50 yards down the sideline. Uh, it's rare. So I think it'd be crazy to take him off the field. Um, yeah, so I broke this down also analytically where, um, you know, I look at an offense's performance against the, the strength of their opponents, that whole bit, kind of like game grader. Mm-hmm. With uh, Matt Corral as a starter, they were bottom 15 on offense. But with John Reese Plumley in the game, top 15 offense. I mean, it is night and day uh, analytically and, from my, in my opinion, you know, anecdotally watching the film. So I think, I think it gives you a better chance to win, better chance to score. I mean, you saw what they do against LSU, putting up 400 rushing yards against the eventual, eventual national champs. So, um, yeah, and I, I, could, I could see Kiffin playing to, to his personnel. This isn't a guy that's really rigid with the system. He was able to go, I think it was five division titles in six years, but with five different quarterbacks. I mean, that's, that's some varying styles there, too. Guys like Blake Sims compared to Jake Coker and then Hurts, the tight end himself. So, He's been great playing to his strengths, and I think he'll do the same here. He'd be crazy not to. How important is that opener to ba- against Baylor for Ole Miss? Is that, you know, I don't want to put make or break on, on the first game of the season, but is it realistic to think that Ole Miss can go bowling if they don't win that game? Well, what I do like about Ole Miss, so I wrote this in the book, I, I see the SEC West as two different divisions this year almost. I see the top four, and I see these three coach changes at the bottom programs, uh, a race for fifth. The reason I gave Ole Miss the nod, among other reasons, I think they have more offensive firepower than others, but uh, they, they draw an auto win, I'm calling it, against Vandy uh, in the crossover. Meanwhile, Mississippi State and Arkansas draw two tough East teams. So right away they get that one-game lead, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, Baylor would be a great statement for them. Uh, and this is a team, and it's kind of perfect for Ole Miss because I think nationally the, the, the casual fan still thinks of Baylor as last year's you know, Sugar Bowl contestant and Big 12 runner-up. Uh, they've lost a ton of talent, coaching change uh, in a very short offseason, as we all know. So I'm kind of pessimistic about Baylor. It would still look like a big win. So for that, you know, college football is all about perception. So you go steal what looks like a big win in the opener, people will be looking at Ole Miss right away. All right, number four in the West, you got Auburn. I know Shane's pretty high on Auburn as well in the job that Gus Malzahn is prepared to do here. There's a lot of talk always, you know, Gus Malzahn is always a game away from the hot seat, but... I think you really break down a good point of why Gus should be nowhere, you know, close to this hot seat. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gus, Mel, uh, Gus Melzon and the job he's done there at Auburn? Yeah, um, so this is always funny. I, I dig into all 66 programs, and uh, every year when I dig into Auburn, uh, nationally he's got a great reputation, but when you dig into these local podcasts and stuff, uh, he's on the hot seat always. I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, I think part of it might be trying to live in the shadow of Nick Saban in the same state and the same rivalry. Um, but yeah, when you look at it, I mean, Auburn's had a lot more success against Bama than the rest of them. So Malzahn's three and four against Alabama, about 500, three and four. The rest of the SEC over that time frame is three and 51. So mm. they both have three wins, three and four, <laughs> three and 51. So I think he's doing fine. More than that, more than fine. Because with Auburn, he's got them recruiting at a top 10 clip uh, and he develops it well. Got a scheme that pretty much usually works. 
And, you know, every other year, every few years, he's got him in a puncher's chance away from the playoff. I mean, he's done it time and again. So I think he's doing a great job. I think the hire of uh, Chad Morris, we talked about him earlier, a great coordinator, maybe not so much head coach, but great coordinator. Um, he's going to bring more of a passing element to, to Auburn. And I think that unlocks their, their roster strength at receiver. So I think it's a great hire. And, um, and they have a history, too, coaching together, some trust there. So I think Morris coming in, they're going to air it out a bit more, get those receivers more touches, and um, hopefully take a next step offensively. I'm glad you talked about Chad Morris there in the passing attack. So obviously, based on those comments, you must think that uh, Bo Nix is in for a, a fairly big sophomore season here. Yeah, you know, I was impressed with Bo Nix. Uh, I see him take some flack on Twitter from some folks, but, I mean, the guy was a freshman. He came out right away and started dazzling. Um, you know, some flashes at first, some inconsistency at first, but look at that Alabama game late in the game. I thought he was, uh, you know, really calm down the stretch, decisive, creative, uh, even, you know, showed some elusiveness. He let them down for that game-winning score. Um, yeah, I, I'm impressed by the guy as a freshman, and I think that he's got a strong backfield behind him. Great receiver core I touched on, but so the, the issue with Auburn, why I have them down at fourth overall, is uh, their, their loss of players in the trenches, replacing most of that offensive line, replacing two top 50 draft picks on the D-line, and, and also a third starter with Nick Coe gone. So, um, you know, not, not to you got to trust Kevin Steele. He's one of the most consistent coordinators in the country, but I think there's some, um, you know, some roster turnover in the trenches and this is a bad league for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I have them down at four. All right. Next on the list, you got LSU, the defending national champions. And I got to say, looking over your information on LSU, it's just incredible. You look over there, the game grader, the best games in the last five years and hell, Nearly every one of them's from 2019. You ever seen anything quite like that? No, I really haven't. I'm, I'm calling them the one-year wonder, um, and that's not even to be a knock on them. I think it was just that everything clicked. Nothing was going to stop this team last year. You're talking about bringing in Joe Brady. Everyone knows the story. It's you know the pass game coordinator from the pros. This transfer quarterback just finds a whole new level. Um, LSU as a program was historically that smash mouth. Uh, you know, Les Miles would just run toss all three plays in a series. But now they're airing it out five wide. It was just incredible to watch. Um, and just for some historical context, because I, I, I applied my game grader formula back 25 years. So uh, in the last 25 years, they're number five, all teams. And that's up there with some elite company. That's the, the 95 Huskers, the 01 Canes, Vince Young's team. Like this is elite company. So with that as a starting point, I got to say that almost all of it has gone overnight. I mean, you lose Brady, who kind of set up the whole offense there. You lose Burrow. Uh, 14 starters are now playing on Sundays. Uh, and then you lose Dave Aranda, who's just a defensive genius. Very complex scheme he's, he's taken away. Uh, I mean, it, it's going to be tough, especially without a spring season of development. Uh, not to mention the whole linebacker core is gone. Four of, the, four of the five offensive line are gone. So it's just really tough in, in a, you know, a super competitive SEC West. I, I felt weird putting them third. They're still 11th overall in the country. That shows you how deep this division is. But, uh, yeah, I had them taking a slight step back. How, how could you not after, um, you know, all this star power leaving? Now, obviously, we don't know what we're getting out of Miles Brennan. Seems like they're very high on him. And, but, you know, it's going to be unrealistic to ask him to do what Joe Burrow did last year. But maybe if he's like Joe Burrow from two years ago, you know, a solid player that maybe not all conference, but, a, you know, a very good option under center – with these receivers, and I'm incredibly high on the freshman they got coming in, Eric Gilbert. I think he's 
I mean, the, people call me out for saying this, but I think he's the next Julio Jones, like a bigger version of the Julio Jones. I think he's going to be that mm-hmm. good. Um, if he lives up to the hype and the receivers they got coming back, do you think LSU's passing game, you know, it's not going to be as historically good as last year, but do you still think it could be one of the better passing attacks in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, it, it could stay uh, in the top half, the top, you know, top three of the division. A um, couple issues I don't, I don't know yet, and this is why I love spring games. I used to get to see the, the, the new starters, how the scheme shifted year over year. Mm-hmm. Without that this year, I'm kind of coming a little bit more blind, but something about Burrow that no one really talks about is just his elusiveness in the pocket. And it'd be subtle. It'd be a subtle sidestep here and there, but it buys him another two seconds and lets these you know, All-American receivers just get that much more open. I don't know, maybe Miles Brennan has that or doesn't have that. That's the question for me because the offensive line in front of him, like I said, is young, four new starters. Uh, if there's even a half second less time in that pocket, who knows what, what, you know, what kind of difference that makes. The, but some things to love about LSU, and certainly they're still one of the most talented rosters in the country. Uh, Blitnikoff winner right there, receiver Jamar Chase. Terrace Marshall, 13 touchdowns himself. You hit on Gilbert, another five-star receiver coming in. So you know there's star power, as always, at receiver. And this secondary could be the best in the country. Um, you know, bringing back Derek Stingley after a very rare true freshman All-American year. Uh, Cardell Flott is right there with him, too. Um, you know, losing, losing Grant Delpit hurts. Christian Fulton, that hurts. But you still bring back Jacoby Stevens, Carrie Vincent in the nickel. So, I mean, this, this secondary is going to be incredible again. So there are still a lot of things to like, um, but also some question marks to move them out of the top spot. All right, number two in the SEC West, you got Texas A&M. And, you know, I've been hyping up the Aggies as well this offseason, yet I get so many people saying, well, here's the annual Aggie hype. Lost five games last year. So tell us, you kind of break this down in your preview magazine, but why is potentially Texas A&M losing five games last year maybe a little bit misleading? Yeah, so I'm right there with most of college football fans where when you see a program complaining about their schedule, it's really just a cover for the team wasn't that great, you know. But when you look at this, I, there is some legitimacy to that claim this, this time with, uh, with A&M. Um, historically, it is the hardest schedule. Uh, five top ten teams. I think they ended up facing the number one team three times, first team to ever do that. So this was an incredibly, incredibly difficult schedule. And the key being this year um, – so instead of playing Clemson, they get Colorado, who's not even in my top 50. Uh, and then instead of the crossover game against Georgia, a playoff contender, they get Vandy. So right away, I mean, if nothing changes at all, you're two games up. Um, and then from there, you look at this, it's a very veteran team in Fisher's third year. A really proven coordinator with Mike Elko, I'm pretty high on. Uh, third year quarterback, Kellen Mond, I have him highly rated in the SEC as well. Uh, dual threat, he showed that in the bowl game. Uh, so, yeah, a lot to like. It's veteran. And not to mention, no one talks about this, that he has put back-to-back top five classes together. Now those kids are starting to come of age a bit as, as second, uh, you know, second year on campus and some in, impact freshmen coming in. So a lot to like. I don't think it's the normal Aggie buzz. I think that there's some legitimacy to it, given that two-game boost in the schedule, too. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about Mel- Mike Elko there. How good of a job has he done there in College Station? I mean, I think you could argue he's done a little bit better than Jimbo Fisher with the uh, other side of the ball. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last year, they were one of the best defenses, um, you know, compared to their opponent averages. They were, they were, you know, 80th percentile. So it was a solid performance. A lot of it's back. They do lose Justin Matabuke, uh, who himself had some key game-changing plays, uh, had a rare defensive tackle interception against Arkansas, um, you know, bl- blocked field goal against Ole Miss. That kind of stuff's gone. But 
everything around him is back. And like I said, a lot of this is five-star talent coming in. So now instead of, you know, some raw players young, you got five stars stepping right in. So he's done a great job. He did a great job at Notre Dame and, and look for another boost here with one of the most veteran SEC defenses coming back. Okay, so obviously you got Alabama, number one in the West, the only team we haven't hit on here in the West. It looks like they got all the pieces to have, you know, another elite offense provided Mac Jones can, you know, be a, a difference maker there at the quarterback position. What are your thoughts on Mac Jones and, you know, some of his stats according to your preview here? Maybe a little bit misleading. Yeah, so it's almost a perfect offense. I mean, it could be the best offensive line in the country. I know they were a Joe Moore award finalist last year and it's all back. Uh, I mean, the backfield's loaded receivers again, you got, you know, you lost two of the four, but you get two of them back and then a bunch of five stars. So nothing's changing there. The key is a quarterback. Uh, you remember he threw those two pick sixes against Auburn or else maybe we're talking about them in a, in a six straight playoff, which is just crazy. But yeah, when you dig into his stats, I noticed a lot of them were, um, were very short passes or even behind the line of scrimmage where I'm not trying to discount his play, but it'll be a short pass. And then these all Americans are just running around crazy. Like it's uh, you know, middle school football. Mm -hmm. So making a one yard pass goes 60 yards. So yeah, when you dig into it, a lot of it was, was yards after catch. He did start to flash some, some, some long game in the bowl game against Michigan. Uh, so that's encouraging if you're a Bama guy. Um, but yeah, so it's still, it's still an uncertainty to me though, because we saw some struggles against Auburn. Tua is just a generational quarterback, uh, and it's going to be tough to replace overnight. Now, you mentioned the decline on defense since Jeremy Pruitt left Alabama's program. Now, Alabama def defenders will say, well, you know, they had a lot of injuries, and then uh, maybe people saying this is the decline of Alabama because, you know, Nick Saban has really failed to replace Jeremy Pruitt. Which side, which way do you kind of lean on that, and, and is that a, a – major red flag that, uh, you know, they've taken such a step back on that side of the ball in recent years. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both if you can. Um, so coming into 2019, all his years here, Saban had never allowed 45 points to an SEC team. Uh, they did it twice in November alone, talking about LSU and Auburn. So you started to see some cracks last year. I know there was an injury to Dylan Moses in the middle, but I mean, that's still not enough to, to really, you know, excuse those uh those those displays i know two of those touchdowns against auburn also were pick sixes like we said but still you started to see some uh some unraveling and that's coming off the the, the national title loss to clemson where they you know allowed another 40 points so you're seeing a little bit of a step back and it, it's it's funny though you got to put this within the context though that a step back for alabama they're still a top 15 defense so mm -hmm. it's just crazy where this is this is saban's worst ever defense and they were still top 15 so um but what what alarms me a little bit for 2020 is, you know, three-fourths of that secondary is gone. Three guys gone. Uh, they had to go to the JUCO ranks, actually, to fill one corner spot. Um, but really also up front, uh, at the edge, outside backer spot, they call it, uh, you know, Anthony Jennings gone and, uh, and Terrell also gone. So those are the two sack guys on the outside, the two pass rush guys, both gone. So when you lose that and you lose the secondary, I'm a little bit worried about their pass defense coming up this year, especially against some of these uh, these big passing attacks we're talking about. So, um, yeah, there's some holes there. The, the quarterback question is, is certainly one of them, but more so the, the defense. And, um, and another thing that we haven't really talked about is um, these programs that lose a lot to the pros, some early, enroll, or, uh, early NFL guys, you will always look that spring to get the young guys up to speed. It's, it's always a younger team in September. 
uh, at these, you know, Alabamas and Clemsons and Ohio States. But now without that spring, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a younger team on both sides of the ball. All right, let's jump over to the SEC East where you've got Vanderbilt, number seven, no surprise there. Uh, can you just, you reference this in your magazine, just how far of a step back did that offense take last season without Andy Ludwig? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the coordinator game. Um, and this is one really where, and when Andy Ludwig left Vandy, uh, not only did they collapse offensively, but he, in, in the same season, turned Utah around into a pretty, you know, balanced, strong force, which they never had at Utah. So uh, his coordinator impact is very apparent. Um, and this was supposed to be one of the best offenses ever. They had that playmaker trio coming back with Keyshawn Vaughn, Kalaja Lipscomb, Jared Pinkney, those guys. Uh, they just really didn't do anything last year. I don't know if it was scheme or what, but uh, yeah, this was one of the worst power five teams in America and given another roster turnover on offense, I don't see it improving. So they, they were kind of the easy pick to finish last in the East. Now they do return a ton on defense, but the defense was pretty poor last year. So, I mean, is there even any value in returning so many defensive players that played rather poorly? Yeah, right. It's one of those things like, well, they return all their starters, but I mean, how the starters play. So, I mean, I think you'll see somewhat of a step forward. It's got to be, I mean, another year of experience in college football is huge. All 11 starters back, 25 of their top 27 are back. Um, but yeah, but then again, you're losing some of those efficiencies with going through a coaching change, a coordinator change. So, uh, yeah, kind of shot themselves in the foot there. This would have been a perfect year to just double down on the scheme get some uh, get some experience back, but you're flipping over to, to a, a whole new scheme now. So you lose some of that advantage. All right, so this might be a surprise to some people, but you got South Carolina number six in the East. That's not looking good for Will Muschamp. You, I didn't want to give it away earlier, but uh, he's one of your minus coaches on your game grader as well. So how hot is the seat Will Muschamp sitting on if South Carolina finishes six in the East as you predict they will? Yeah, I don't really know what, what South Carolina's long-term vision is. I mean, uh, this, this program has definitely taken a step back from the Spurrier years, obviously. Those were some peaks, uh, not just recently, but historically for South Carolina. But with Muschamp, he kind of hit his peak with that nine-win season in 2017. It's been downhill since. I don't know how the heck they beat Georgia last year. That's one of those games from last year that'll just never make sense to me. But, um, but yeah, so, so the defense has been fine. Uh, it's been above average, but the offense really tanked last year, and uh, enough for him to make another coordinator change. And, you know, he brings in Mike Bobo, who's a, almost a lifer UGA guy. Um, slow tempo, wants to cut down the, the total number of plays and possessions and, and aid that defense. Kind of actually what Muschamp does best. He, he, he excels in those low-scoring games. So maybe in a way this grinds out some close ones, but I just, I just don't see the firepower to compete for, for uh, division titles right now. So – you know, I didn't want to. I don't want to read too much in between the lines on your preview magazine, but it seems like you're a bit underwhelmed with the Mike Bobo hire. While I've seen quite a few people praise it, but so what? Just what's your thoughts on that offensive uh, transition there in Columbia this off season? Yeah, it, it didn't wow me, I guess. But you know, as I said in there, he does excel in these low-scoring games. Maybe he's just trying to double down with the defense. So. If, if Carolina were to break out and win nine or 10 games, it's not going to be because of the Mike Bobo offense. It's going to be because that same offense slows the game and this defense uh, wins some close games. Think of Iowa from the Big Ten. Um, they're never going to put up like 60-point games, but um, they might, you know, field position you to death and, uh, and grind out a 14-10 a game. So it might have just been his overall strategy. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what, what, what happens down there. But, 
Yeah, I'm not too confident. I feel like the other teams in the East have more firepower. A little word of advice, Brett. Don't ever go on the Paul Feinbaum show and say South Carolina could win 10 games because I did that last year. They won four. He had me on the show January 1st as his worst take of the year. Oh, well, for what it's worth, I, I do not see the 10 wins, but uh, I'm not even going to do the hypothetical to get that into, you know, into print. All right, so number f- oh. number five of the East, Missouri first-year coach Eli Drinkowitz. It's that's, you know, you talk about missing spring football. This was one of the most disappointing losses, in my opinion, from spring football because I didn't get to see much of anything of what this offense is going to look like. So, what can Missouri fans be expecting from an Eli Drinkowitz offense? Yeah. So first off, on a, on a program level, it's kind of you know hiring the opposite with with Odom. He was a defensive mind. He was more old fashioned where it was kind of, um, you know, it wasn't in tune with all the social media and that kind of new age recruiting and branding, that kind of stuff. Uh, Drinkwitz comes in right away. He calls him new zoo. It's this new marketing campaign he's got going. So, uh, and right away starts attacking the, uh, the homegrown Missouri football prospects. So it's going to be a completely different feel uh, program wise, but uh, offensively. Yeah. I mean, he had success throughout the years. Uh, NC State, two years there as the offensive coordinator. Uh, and then the head coach last year at App State where he took over a well-oiled machine and kept it going. So he got a credit in there. Um, but, yeah, I learned a lot about his, his impact after he left NC State. Uh, you learn a little bit once the coach leaves. After he left NC State, they had one of the worst declines in offense last year. Just completely fell apart. So it kind of paints the picture of how important he was to them. Um, yeah, you have another another transfer quarterback now, Sean Robinson, taking over. Former four-star, didn't work out at TCU, but he's got some some definite upside there. Uh, and then another transfer, Damon Hazleton, who was Virginia Tech's lead receiver for a few years. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see his name in the portal, but uh, he'll be a starter right away and, and a, a guy to, to to lean on. And of course, he brings back Ryan Walters at defensive coordinator, and no one could have known, you know, this all season how it was going to play out and and we're going to lose spring and everything. But not only is I thought that was a good decision to bring Ryan Walters back, but I think that could really benefit Missouri from, you know, the one side of the ball that, that is uh, not going to have to transition like the, so many of these first-year SEC coaches. Yeah, it turns out that was a, that was a genius, uh, you know, coordinator retention. Keeping him here was huge. Um, had great success. That's uh, the four-two-five base scheme they do. Uh, one thing to note, though, how will it be without Kel Garrett? Uh, he was knocked out midseason last year. Over that first half of the year, they were a top 10 defense, uh, and that's scaled for opponent. I know they had some easy games in there, but scaled for opponent, top 10. Uh, after his injury, they were below average, so they kind of really fell off. Same thing happened to their offense, ironically, uh, when Kelly Bryan was knocked out. But how can Missouri shake that second half nosedive? And, uh, you know, I think they're better than they showed the, the last half of the year uh, in 2019. And, um, I think they say, you know, I think they, they're a solid middle, middle tier SEC team and could push for bowl season. All right. Number four in the East, you got Kentucky. I'm curious to get your thoughts on, uh, what's your expectation level for Terry Wilson? Because I talked to people down there at Lexington and they're shaking their head, acting like, you know, people need to recognize him as one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, but, um, nothing against the guy, but I've just not yet seen that type of play from him just yet. Yeah, I think he's probably above average. He's probably an above average quarterback. He at least has starting experience. He has scheme experience. Um, but to flash back real quick, I mean, what what an incredible coaching job last year, Kentucky and Mark Stoops. Uh, having both quarterbacks go down, they, they start going wildcat with uh, Lynn Bowden. 
um, making the, it was kind of something you do in high school where you just put the best athlete at quarterback, let him run wild and have a big O line in front of him. But incredible coaching job. It'll be more traditional this year, uh, you know, bringing back Terry Wilson. But regardless of Wilson's play, I really love the offense. It's this offensive line. Uh, four of those guys made my all SEC teams. I actually have Kentucky number four offensive line in the country. So oh. this, I think this is a team that's really flying under the national radar. I haven't been my top 25. I don't think anyone else really does. Um, power run game. So even if Wilson's average, I think they have a great trio of backs, big O line, and uh, quietly a pretty nasty defense. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I think I found a little sleeper here. Not to win the division, but they could, they could throw someone an upset uh, you know, in October and November. Well, speaking of that defense, Mark Stoops, that's his you know, area of expertise. Is this going to be the best defense of the Mark Stoops era, do you think, in Lexington? Oh, that's tough because a couple of years back, that's what carried the, this, uh, this whole resurgence, this 10-win year two years ago, mm-hmm. was defense first. It's certainly up there. I mean, uh, DeAndre Square and Chris Oates, strong duo linebacker right there, um, you know, despite Cash Daniels' departure. Uh, you know, secondary was really young last year. Still managed to improve in all my past defensive metrics. Also bringing a guy, Kelvin Joseph, transferred in from LSU. And uh, from the early spring practice reports, Stoops is really high on him. Um, so I think this defense definitely takes a step forward. Quentin Bohanna also, the 360-pound giant in the middle, um, yeah, it, it's going to be pretty stout. And, uh, and like I said, really relying heavily on the offensive line too, in my, in my prediction. All right. Number three in the SEC East, you got Tennessee. So how big is the, the return of Jim Chaney? Because it seems like it's been about a damn decade since they've returned an offensive coordinator in, in Rocky top. Yeah, for real. It's, it's gotta, you know, it's gotta build some efficiencies for the quarterback, finally having a, a consistent scheme there. Um, but the offense in general. Really what happened with Tennessee last year, I mean, you guys know it. It started out like classic Tennessee. I mean, it was a, a meltdown against a, you know, the Georgia State or whatever it was. Um, it looked like a generic video game team. I never heard of that team. But anyway, uh, no, then a, then a Hail Mary loss to BYU, and you're thinking, man, this Tennessee keeps shooting themselves in the foot. Normally a 1-4 start would sink the ship again, but this team finally found some resolve. They, you know, they were resilient from there. They beat Mississippi State. They end up closing seven and one. Um, and really, I mean, they, they really held their own against some of these heavyweights down the stretch. Um, one thing to note, really, uh, I do my game grader like we touched on. I grade the first half of the season against the second half. Tennessee was the most improved from, you know, since the halfway point on. This was a, a solid top 15 team over the back half of the year. And given their roster continuity, especially on defense, given some of that high recruiting, I had them staying at, at the top 15 clip, and I have them 15 overall. And we talk about Alabama taking a step back on defense without Jeremy Pruitt. How impressed have you been with the job he's done, you know, doing the exact opposite there for Tennessee? Oh, yeah. It's, it's no coincidence um, what you just said. I mean, so that, that was a pretty young unit last year when you look at it. I know they lose some star power with uh, Batuli and Nigel Warrior and Daryl Taylor. But besides those three guys, it's like the next 20-something are coming back. Um, and when you look specifically defense-wise, over the second half of the year, they were 90th percentile. We're talking about down the stretch, one of the best defenses. I mean, this team was fast. Uh, you know, Henry T is an All-American candidate there in the middle. Um, and you're starting to see some of these blue chippers uh, from his first couple of classes starting to come of age. So, no, it, it is clear that he's improving the defense, and it'll be a strength. I'm pretty, I'm very high on them going forward. So Georgia, number two in the East. How many uh, Bulldog fans have asked you to uh, submit to a drug test there? 
I know. Yeah, you call right on. That's one of their favorite jokes. Uh, you know, uh, you know, get get creative, guys. Come on now. But uh, no, Georgia. Um, you know, I love the defense. I love the fans' passion. I'm I'm just joking here. But uh, no, I love the defense. Uh, I have some questions on offense with four offensive line starters gone. Uh, that was always their bread and butter the last couple of years. What made them great was that that powerful off- offensive line. And uh, and I know that Jake Fromm takes some heat nationally, but hey, the guy was efficient took care of the ball and put them in spots to win and let that defense take, you know, take over. But without those, those are some big question marks, um, especially with the short off season, trying to learn a whole new scheme. Uh, I love the, I love the hire, but it's going to be tough to install it this quickly with uh, that's Todd Monken coming in after, uh, you know, some success in the big 12 with some of these Oklahoma state you know, high flying air raid offenses, trying to simulate what LSU did here. Um, it's going to be tough overnight, but, I like the thought. I like the idea going forward. And how do you like that pairing of Jamie Newman and Todd Munkin? I mean, does that seem like a fit in your mind? Yeah, in a way, it really does. I mean, um, you know, I, I watched a lot of Jamie Newman tape. Uh, he, he seems like his strength is a deep ball. Uh, you know, on targets 10 or 20 yards downfield, he's top five and top 10, respectively. Um, so does that does that translate now to the SEC? I know it's one thing to have your receivers getting open against Duke and, uh, you know, Boston College, but uh, how's that going to fare in the SEC West or sorry, the SEC. So I don't know. I'm not as high as some of these other, other national pundits that right away pencil him in as the, the best QB in the, in the conference. I mean, against Clemson, he was brutal. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm going to wait and see with him. I think he's fine. It's a, it's a proven starting five or power five starting quarterback, but uh, I'm not ready for the all American hype. Okay. Final thing for you, obviously Florida, number one in the East. Not only that, you got him winning the conference, and go into the college football playoff. Why are the Gators going to win the East this year? Yeah, so, well, first off, um, you know, when I'm doing my research, my five months of prep for this book, I really try and stay away from the other, you know, the other publications, not because of, you know, that I don't like them. I just don't want to cloud my thoughts. But the day before I hit publish, I just, you know, I browsed over to SEC Mike's Twitter page, see what he had, and uh, it was great seeing him at Florida number one, <laughs> because I know you, you know what you're talking about with the SEC. So, to be on the same page, that that was a sigh of relief for me to have someone else in my corner. But yeah, with Florida, a lot to love. Uh, you know, third year under Dan Mullen, uh, he's had success everywhere, and not just as a head coach, but think of him coaching Alex Smith back in Utah back in the day, uh, the coordinator here when he was flipping, uh, you know, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow around, and then Dak Prescott, and he's got a track record. And now finally, I think he has some stability at quarterback with Kyle Trask, who, and let's not forget, he was a first year starter first year, including high school starter. So he's going to see a nice step forward in the second year. Um, uh, another thing is this defense is always top five. I mean, they're always producing NFLers. That's not going to change this year, despite losing Grenard and Zuniga on the ends. I think you have another, you know, NFL caliber defense again, great secondary, um, and the third year with Todd Grantham. So kind of the teams I'm hitting on here are, are coach continuity and roster continuity in a, in a weird off season, right? So, I'm relying heavily on their track record as, as coordinators and coaches. I like Trask as probably the best quarterback coming back in the conference. And I also like a guy, John Hevesy, their, their offensive line coach. He's been great with development. I think they take a step forward offensive line-wise. Everyone's back. If they can just improve a bit with that, uh, with that run push and make this more balanced, I think it, it could be one of the best offenses in the country. So uh, a lot there. But one last note is they, uh, they have a favorable conference schedule. While Georgia and Bama knock each other out in September, they avoid that that crossover issue. They draw a young LSU team that we touched on. 
at home. So I like that. And then they get Georgia in the cocktail game. So a uh, long way of saying, yeah, I think Florida takes the conference and there's no way an SEC champ is left out. So they're a playoff team. All right, Brett, once again, you know, I really thank you for giving us so much time and breaking down the entire SEC. You do an outstanding job, and I recommend all the listeners go out, get this book, encourage your friends to do the same. You won't be disappointed. You can get it at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter, pick6previews.com, and he's given the listeners of the show discount code SEC. Can't get any easier than that. Brett, thank you so much to, so much for giving us all this time and breaking down the SEC and and just uh, want to thank you and 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 just say what a hell of a job you've done yet again with this preview magazine. It's really outstanding. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that praise. Um, really do. It means a lot. Uh, love the love the praise on Twitter too. And uh, and like I said at the top, I mean, you guys do a great job too. You're one of my SEC go tos. Uh, and uh, got to get cousin Shane back on and and uh, rest it up for the season. We need him back in the fall. So. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk this season. All right, so that was Brett Sianka. Once again, the Pick 6 Previews. Got to check out his book, and he's even given listeners of the show discount code SEC. really appreciate his time. really appreciate him you know, giving a, all the listeners that opportunity to get his book at a discounted price. So what do you think mm-hmm. of all that, Shane? Man, that was a lot to take in, and uh, there was a couple of things that really stood out to me. How high he was on Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he made a lot of great points. Some saying that is some say that Kentucky has the best offensive line in the SEC, you know, and, and I, they've got a lot of talent, you know, and that's what a lot of people don't think you're controlling the trenches, man. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you, you win ball games. You shouldn't. So, uh, that's an interesting one to me. The other one is, uh, was Auburn, man, you know, something that we've talked about in the off season, is is that coach Morris hire you know he was he was a he was a laughing stock there in Arkansas but sometimes you are just good at one thing you know maybe a head coaching position's not for him uh, maybe it's just a coordinated position it, and, and the thing is coach Malzon I think took on too much responsibility last year and and something that that he was hitting on was just how much that's going to help the Auburn Auburn Tigers. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of agree with that. I think, I think a lot of people are sleeping on them and, uh, and it's, it's good to see the other media outlets starting to pick up and and realize that Auburn's got a pretty good ball club. If they put the pieces together, if they get that offensive line, right. uh, You know, if that deep, I mean, they they got one of the best defensive coaches in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if they put the pieces together, some, some people could be sleeping on them. Yeah, we didn't hit on it during the show, but before we hopped on, we were Brett and I were talking a little bit. You know, he's pretty high on Tennessee, and he's he didn't pull the trigger on it, but he said he considered picking Tennessee to beat Oklahoma. Ooh, dog! Imagine how the hype train how how <laughs> much would be rolling if Tennessee went to Norman, Oklahoma, and beat I think three time defending Big Twelve champion. That gets you going for the upcoming season. Oh, wouldn't it? absolutely. Well, I didn't want to sound like a homer. Obviously, Tennessee top fifteen would be fantastic, mm-hmm. you know. And starting out the gate beating Oklahoma, I mean, to 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 end the season in the top twenty, you're gonna have to win some big games, and Oklahoma's one of them. So uh, that gives me a lot of that gives me goosebumps, Mike. Because if we do that, I hate Oklahoma. 
I, I think, you know, I hate that whole conference. Don't get me wrong. I hate every conference but the SEC uh, because I'm I'm an SEC homer as well. But I love when when SEC teams go to other conferences and just kick somebody's ass. You know, it makes the whole conference look better. It makes your university look better. And if you go over there and you get beat, you know, then it's the whole, well, you know, you hear that whole, well, we could have won this. You know, mm-hmm. why didn't we get it? Uh, you never know what – you never know what the implications could be later in the in the season if uh, Oklahoma's a one-loss team. They say, well, they beat Tennessee, and Tennessee beat this one. You know what I'm saying? So if if we beat Oklahoma, hell yeah, that's the way I want to start the season. Mm-hmm. And I also thought it was interesting. It seems like a little bit of hype here for Missouri keeps building. That could prove to be a sleeper team in the East. And I got to think South Carolina fans – eager to see Will Muschamp gone, they probably appreciated <laughs> picking the Gamecocks oh. sixth in the East. I don't I don't know if Muschamp would survive that. Absolutely. A lot of, a lot of South Carolina fans didn't like that interview, I'll tell you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I think we're a little down on South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina does have plenty of talent. I, I just think they got to use it differently next mm. year. Right? You know, you can't – you can't let this thing be a Holinsky shootout. You know, you've got some you've got some great running backs. You've got you've got pieces at South Carolina. They just gotta make that offense work. And I think Mike Bobo's gonna be able to do that. Um I, I think he's going to he's gonna see what he has to I mean, he's coming in looking at a blank canvas and he's looking from start to finish, who's on this roster. What what can this person do? What can't this person do? And I think he's going to get the best out of that offense. And I think I think I think we're a little hard on South Carolina. But I wanted to ask you, Mike. He was talking about the four uh, the four teams in the West, you mm-hmm. know. And obviously, the with the new coaches out of those four, he had uh, Ole Miss first, uh, and then he had uh, Mississippi State. Is that right? No, no, no. He had Missouri. Then Mississippi State, then Arkansas. Is that right? No, no, no. You had it right the first time. Oh, okay. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. How how you feeling about the new coaches? I mean, make some great points, and I could see why the schedule of Ole Miss is enticing. But out of those four ball clubs, do you think Ole Miss is going to be the one leading that that next that next you know rung in the ladder? No, I really don't. But I could certainly see why someone would pick that. You know, it's, it's very difficult to pick between those couple of teams. Mm-hmm. But I almost lean towards putting Ole Miss dead last in that category. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that Brett had them first. I understand the reasons why he did it. But and that's not to say that, uh, you know, there's a huge separation between those teams. But I think when you start looking at the schedule and you start looking at, well, they got Vanderbilt and they got Mississippi State at home. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really a – that's not the best strategy for picking games because you, we just don't know how good these teams are going to be. And we don't even know if there's going to be home field advantages. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I'm going with the best rosters, best coaches, and I'll take Mike Leach over Lane Kiffin any day of the week. Okay. I, I and You got to think Missouri too, man, because what I, I thought the, the one thing I didn't realize was the drop off at, at North Carolina state when Drinkwitz left, mm-hmm. you know, just, who knows what he's going to be able to do with that offense. Don't get me wrong, Barry. I love Barry. He's a great guy, but he's a defensive mind, you know. Now you've got somebody that's offense-driven, you know, and you've seen teams go from 
Well, I mean, think about it. With my, uh, the way that uh, LSU was two years ago to one offseason of implementing uh, uh, Brady's new offense, you know what I'm saying? So it's just, I don't know, maybe Drinkwitz is a spark that Missouri needs. I could see them making the, the, the leap to the fourth team up. Let me ask you to you this way, because you're, you're hyping up South Carolina a little bit. Yeah. Hyping up Missouri. And we, yes. we think Kentucky and Tennessee are going to be improved. Let's say all that happens. Mm-hmm. Does the SEC East, are they the beast of the, of the SEC now? And with all these new coaches <laughs> on the West, I mean, I don't know. I think the East just may just overtake the West if all that happens. Oh, man, it's hard to do that when you've got LSU coming off a national championship. <laughs> you know, you got Saban still in the SEC. I, I, I think that they're getting closer, you know, but I still, I'm still going to give the West the edge just because I'm a firm believer that this is another – I think this is Saban's last year, and he's – and I say it every year, but I, I just think that his roster is lined up perfect to go out with a bang. You know what I'm saying? So right. I, 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 I'm afraid of, of the Crimson Tide right now. And and just if, if I think that that national powerhouse contender is sitting over in the West, it's hard to pick. Now, don't get me wrong, Georgia, Florida, those two are going to duke it out, and those two could probably hang with – every team in the West. But when you look beyond that, it's, it's still, it's still muddy, man. I, I'm not, I'm not ready. I like the way Tennessee ended. You know, I like the, I like the players that are at South Carolina, but I just, I don't see that third, fourth, fifth level like I do over there. Cause here we're talking about, I could see Texas A&M winning the West. I could see Auburn winning the West. You know, I could see there's four teams over there. I could see winning the West. I see two right now in the East. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's cut this one short because we're about to go about two hours here on this damn podcast. <laughs> but uh, you got anything else before we hop off here? Oh man, no. I, it's just no, Mike. That's that's about it, man. I, I really enjoy. Uh, Brett, take the time to come on the show. I did see a surplus in ratings and reviews on iTunes, Mike. I don't know if you saw that, but we got about 20 of them. So it must be koozie season. Yes, so sir. I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate everybody taking the just a couple of minutes to get on your iPhones or your, your mom's iPhones, your sister's iPhone. Just get on there. Give us a rating review. Five star really helps us out. And if you screenshot and send that to Mike, we'll send you a, a, a free koozie. And uh, those really help us out. You know, we, we don't make money doing this pod, Mike. Uh, we, we do this just because we love college football. Absolutely. And, you know, I should have mentioned this previously, but uh, not only do we got the beer koozies, if that's not your thing, we've got some high-quality stickers here as well. So if you'd rather have a sticker instead of a koozie, maybe that's holding you back, feel free to leave us a five-star written review and I'll be happy to send one of those your way if that's what you want instead. So, yeah, we really do appreciate each and every one of those. Helps the podcast grow. That's all we're trying to do with that. But uh, I think that's going to do it for this one. So thanks for joining me, Shane. As always, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.
I'm all over the place, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's all right. To, We're almost done got, already. <laughs> yeah, at least it's a short pod. You don't have to edit too much. <laughs> it's been a late day, man. This beer's hitting just right. 